Acts chapter 9. That's what it sounds like when a page turns. Acts chapter 9. Somebody say hallelujah. This is going to be a great message. Let's pray that the pastor can deliver it. You ready? Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for your word that trains us and teaches us and, and gets us on track. Father, I pray today as we open Acts chapter 9, Lord, that you would reveal to us your intent of why you wrote it through the Apostle Paul or Luke. We ask you to bless it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Uh, we're going to delve into the, the uh, uh, conversion of Paul on, on, uh, as he was surprised by Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus is full of surprises? Would you, would you agree with me? He, he's, just, he's just full of surprises. You know, I think we're all going to be surprised who's going to be in heaven. <laughs> you think somebody's going to be there and they're not, and you're going to think that person could never get in and they're actually going to be there. I think it's going to be interesting to see who actually is in heaven. And that's the case with Paul. Paul. Paul was a guy who had murder on his heart. He was a murderer. I mean, he, 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 it, it, it filled him. He was, he was totally overtaken by hatred for Christians. He, he was totally motivated by hate, yet he wrote most of the New Testament. I think we're going to be surprised who's in heaven because God always picks <laughs> you know, the ones that we wouldn't pick. You know, the people that, that, uh, that are religious or, you know, that you make fun of because they're crazy in their worship practices or their belief systems, they're going to be in heaven. But Paul was, he was just a messed up guy that thought he had it, knew everything. He was we would call him religious or legalistic or, or something these days. We would label Paul for sure. Uh, he says about himself that he was zealous for God, but he was just misguided, right? Look at what Acts chapter 7, verse 57 through 58, what it says about Paul. We'll get to Acts 9 here in just a minute. It says, it says about Paul that, that the disciples and the people cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and read at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city. And actually, he's talking about Stephen. They cast him out of the city, and they stoned Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was the one that was in charge of the stoning of Stephen. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, Christians, which were at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. There was this great persecution that arose against the church, and, and, and Saul was the one that was consenting to this great persecution. Chapter 3, it says, for, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. This is Paul. 
In Acts chapter 26, Paul testifies, this, is, this I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I, sh- I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them, even chased them to foreign cities. First Timothy chapter 1, Paul testifies, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. We're going to be surprised at who is in heaven because it's going to be people like Paul. In Acts chapter 9, we get the story of Paul and his conversion experience. Now, as we read this, there's a tendency for us in the church world to look at this as a history book. We're going to learn, we're going to learn the history of the church. And, and, of course, we're going to learn the history of the church. I mean, that's what we're about to do. We're about to learn the testimony of Paul. That's what we're about to do. We're about to study the testimony of Paul. But, but you have to understand, and, 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 and as I read Scripture, this is what I do. I have to understand that God had intent when he penned these words. And they weren't a history lesson. You know, when you, when you read what the Word of God does, it, it corrects, it, it gives vision, it, it helps us understand the character and nature of God. It, it actually rebukes, it, it changes the way you think. And so this passage of Scripture was written so that you would change the way you think about God. That, that, that it, would, it would change your behavior patterns to respond to the ways of God. You guys with me? And so as we read this, we have to see that God is trying to to give us the interaction that he has with man. There's this intimate relationship with man that God has with us, with you, that he wants us to understand because he has it with Paul. Now, what we need to understand is Of course, Acts was written after the crucifixion and the resurrection. Would you agree? In Acts chapter 9, we're also talking about a post-baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the church is in full bloom. The church is, I mean, the the gas pedal is mashed on the church. In other words, we're not going to enter a new age in the church. You know, the church was born and it is being carried out and, and we can learn from the relationship that Paul had with Jesus and with the Father. So it says in verse 9, I mean chapter 9 verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found anyone who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
and he said, who are you, Jehovah? <laughs> That's interesting to me. Capital L-O-R-D. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. I love this passage of Scripture. Matter of fact, this, the, this verse in the beginning of, 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 of the next verse isn't mentioned in some translations. You don't even have it in your translations. If it were me, I'd get rid of that translation. No, I wouldn't. I would certainly have another one because this whole thing got left out. Why are you kidding? It's an important passage of Scripture. Why are you kicking against the goat? Now, a goad, you have to understand, is a sharp stick with a point on it. Kind of looks like a fireplace poker, except it's longer. And, and what would happen with this goad is, is that when an ox would be stubborn, knowing the, which way the master wanted him to go, he would actually poke the ox in the rump with the sharp stick. And the Lord is asking Paul, when I stick you in the rump with the sharp stick, why are you kicking against the way I'm trying to get you to go? So obviously to me, you see this relationship, this, this stubbornness in Paul when, when, when he is murderously attacking Christians in his heart of hearts, he has some semblance of an idea that he might not be in doing the right thing. There's, there's a question mark somewhere in, in what he's doing. And the Lord is fully aware of that question mark, and he comes to him as a light in a dark place. And he asked him, he asked him, why are you being stubborn in what you know to be doing? It's a great question to ask yourself, isn't it? Why are you being stubborn in what you know you ought to be doing? You see, Paul was unable to ever come to, to the vision God had for him as long as he kicked against the goats. As long as he fought God, as long as he kept kicking against what, what God asked him to do, he never had the ability to fulfill his calling. Do you find yourself kicking against the ghost? Great question to ask. Hope you really ask yourself the question. Because the answer from the pulpit is <laughs> absolutely. There are a lot of things that I know the Lord would have me do. There are a lot of attitudes while I'm driving that the Lord would have me <laughs> remove from my nature. Would you agree? Somebody say hallelujah. I mean, there's, there's some things that come out of my mouth. I heard somebody say this morning, I just want to suck them back in. You do that? You know, at least we're trying to suck them back in. You know, the Lord is trying to get our attention and say, quit, quit being something that I'm not. You know, Represent me well. Do, do, there's all kinds of things that we kick against God about. I, I told you, stop doing that, preacher. Get off me. 
I, I say that. I really want you to hear me. How, how do I, I really, I really wouldn't really do that to God. I don't, I don't do this. I just do this. It's inconvenient. It's bad timing. It's bad timing, God. It, it's something. It's something that keeps me from responding. The reason I want you to understand this in this passage of Scripture is because that's what God does. What God does, when, when, the, when the lawyer came to Jesus and said, what must I do to, to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know, keep the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, love people. Do those things. And the guy says, well, I've done that. And so Jesus then just shines the light on the thing that the guy's not doing that he's been challenged with. It's okay. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the guy went away sad. What Jesus always does is he shines the light on the thing that we're kicking against. There's a posture that I want you to see about Paul. When Jesus shined the light on Paul and all those around him, his response to the Lord was he fell to the ground. You see, I think there's an attitude toward God these days that we serve this, oh, he, he loves you, and he does. <laughs> He loves you beyond measure. He wants good for you. But this idea that we have of love, um, I think, is, is tainted a bit. And we have this idea that, that, that our actions don't matter to God. And we have this idea that there's somehow an equality with God. I don't know how we, how we get there. But what you see here is a man who is driven by murder and hate in the name of God, who is misguided in the name of God, who has an encounter and light is shined on him, who falls to the ground as if he's dead. And he says, who are you? And, and he says, I'm Jesus. I'm, I'm the one you're kicking against. So he, trembling, Paul, trembling, say it with me, and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Incredible question. When confronted with the Most High God, this New Testament, baptized in the Holy Spirit, age, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. <laughs> Incredible insight in this passage of Scripture. I ain't telling you nothing. You ever go to God and you say, God, what you want me to do? I'll tell you later. Incredible insight, isn't it? I'll tell you later. Well, hold on now. 
We do that. Well, I, well you, just, you just go, and I'll tell you as you go. I want you to go here, and I'll tell you. Man, so much in that. When we think about our relationship with God, I want you to go to this city, and when you get to that city, you'll be told. And the men who journeyed with Paul, they stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. They, they had an encounter with the supernatural realm. And then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they laid him by the hand. They led him by the hand, and they brought him to Damascus, and he was there Three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, let me, let me just mess you all up right here. I'm going to mess you up. God is healer, right? He calls himself Jehovah Rapha. I'm the God who heals. But Paul's encounter with God led him to blindness. Matter of fact, it says in, in just a little bit, it says about Paul that, that Paul needed to, to understand how much he had to suffer for the glory of God. Oh, that, that's not good preaching. That won't sell books. It messes me up. Well, do you think Paul, as he, as he understands that he's blind and that for the rest of his life struggled with eye problems after his encounter with the Lord? Do you think him being stoned and shipwrecked and imprisoned and whipped and beaten, do you think he would say about God, great is your faithfulness. You've never failed me yet. He would. He would. Because in his suffering, he had the presence of God. In his suffering, he began to do ministry with a grace that he would have never experienced if he hadn't understood that there's no way to follow Jesus without forsaking the world. There's no way that you could begin to carry out the mission God has for you unless you think everything else is rubbish. It's like a... He called it. He said it. I didn't. He says, it's like, <laughs> it's like, how can I even say it from the pulpit? It's like a female, yeah. It's what it's like. It's what he said. The world, the stuff. There, there's, there's, there's a, 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 the faithfulness of God in the midst of that. Do you think he would have said, in prison, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Do you think as he is thrown overboard on the ship, he would have said, I'm undefeated? Do 
You see, we, we get a misconception of what it really means to follow God. Follow God means his presence with me. Follow God means I, I come into his plan. I don't tell him what plan he needs to follow in my life. He's not submitted to me. I'm not in authority over God. I don't tell God what to do. I listen to him. I obey him. I do what he's called me to do. I die to self and come alive to God. I'm born again. Born again. Paul has this experience and he he begins to move forward blind. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And I love this 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 uh, dialogue that Ananias has with the Father. It's a certain disciple named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. I love this. That means it's possible. You track it with me? That means it's possible. Come on, somebody needs to get excited. The Most High Creator God can say, Pastor Alex, and I can say, here I am, Lord. He can say to you. He can call your name, and you can say, I know that name. Because your word says, my sheep, no, my voice. It's a possibility for, and the media will go nuts when you tell them that. I think I can hear God. But, but it says it right here. It says, and Adonai says, said to the Lord, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. <laughs> and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. This is what Jesus is saying to Ananias. Now, now I want you to see this relationship, right? He's giving him this vision. He's speaking. He's giving him instruction about somebody else. There are people in your life that you're the only one who's going to be able to bring the message of grace to them, and you're going to be the voice of God. You're going to be the one that God uses to actually bring kingdom into their circumstance. That's exactly what Jesus is doing with that. And nice and that, and he says, wait a minute, Lord. Hey, 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 Lord. Maybe, maybe you hadn't heard about this guy. Maybe you hadn't heard how much harm he's done to your saints. I mean, I mean, he hates Christians. He's a murderer. And he, he's had authority from the, uh, uh, from the chief priest to, to bind everybody and put them in prison who, who even named your name. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you're mistaken. I mean... <clears throat> How many of you know somebody you hate at work? No. Don't, don't raise your hand. Now, if the Lord says, I want you to, I want you, hates Christians, gossips, talks bad about everybody, especially you, lies, cheats, steals, prideful, all he's after is his own gain, 
And the Lord says to you, I want you to bring a message of hope. You're the one. You're the one. I want you to go and I want you to speak life. I want you to bring kingdom. <laughs> Wait, God. Wait a minute. You, you're talking about the same bill that I'm talking about? I mean, really. I mean, hadn't you seen? I mean, don't you see what he says about you? And you think the Lord is going, no, what did he say? <laughs> well, <laughs> well then, <laughs> you're right. I'm stupid. We do some weird stuff, don't we? Then I, I, and I said, Lord, I, <laughs> this man's a mess. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen, say that with me, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer. Say that with me, that he must suffer for my name's sake. Does that sound like abundance? Does that sound like prosperity? Paul would say yes. See, it's not prosperity if the world's system and stuff is not rubbish. What makes it prosperous is that the only thing prosperous to Paul was kingdom. It's just, it's kingdom or nothing. It's kingdom or nothing. You see, A.W. Tozier, I was so impacted last week, as A.W. Tozier says, the whole generation growing up in church that believes that they can come into salvation, they can be a Christ follower without forsaking the world. So Ananias, of course, went his way and entered the house, risking his life if he didn't hear God correctly. Y'all tracking with me on that? Risking imprisonment if he thought it could be bad pizza. He entered the house and he laid his hands on Paul and he said, listen, brother Saul. <laughs> Love it. The murderer, the one that was in prison and everybody. Immediately Ananias hears from God and his, his, his surname is brother. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with his disciples at Damascus, and immediately 
Say this with me. Immediately. Say it real loud. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name in, in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more. Say it again. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Paul was surprised by Jesus. A light shines, points to the heart of the matter. But most of all, when you encounter Jesus, it requires a response. There are a lot of people today that are, that are encountering Jesus. They're having an emotional experience or they're going to different places and they they're, they're, they're have the opportunity to hear the gospel but they're not responding. There's not much response. You see, immediately, Paul gets on the right track. He even goes away for a couple years so he can really get solid in what he's teaching. But the big thing that I want you to see is he fell on the ground. He was blinded by God. He, he, was, he was brought into fellowship with the church through Ananias. He was prayed for and healed. His scale fall off his eyes. But he always, always had a problem with his sight. I love the idea of the supernatural realm coming alive in the, in the hearts of believers. In my own personal testimony, if you've ever heard it, <clears throat> I, my, you know, I, I grew up in the 70s. Um, everybody in my family smoked. I don't know that nobody didn't smoke in the 70s. I think everybody smoked in the 70s. How many were around in the 70s? Raise your hand. How many weren't around in the 70s? Raise your hand. You guys are bragging currently. <laughs> okay. Us 70 folks, everybody smoked. I mean, 60s, 70s, everybody smoked. I mean, there might have been a few that didn't, but they're saying, nah, uh not me. That you were believers in the 70s. Nope. And you still didn't smoke. Well, these two people were the only two people. <laughs> so, so, so I smoked for about 10 years before I got saved. And I can remember. I can remember, my testimony is this, I can remember the Lord saying, you, you know, I, I, you need to quit. And I heard, I heard the Lord say, you need to quit. And so I called a buddy of mine, I said, do you think smoking's a sin? You know, I heard the Lord say, quit, but I'm young in the faith. And so I called somebody else and I say, hey, I think I heard God. Do you think smoking's a sin? And he says, he says, why? And I said, well, I think God's told me to quit smoking. I love his response. He didn't say, smoke is a sin. Yeah, you need to quit. He says, if God told you to do something, I believe I'd do it. That's, I mean, that's profound right there, folks. 
Hey, how many times we don't do it? How many times we let it slide under the bridge? How many times do we put a lot of water under the, uh, under, the, uh, under the bridge so that we can get further and further away from it so that it loses its power so that we don't have to do it? Why do you kick against the goats? Right? So, so I go into this room. Those of you who have heard the testimony, bear with me. Just nod your head and go, great testimony, Pastor. Thank you. So I go in this room, you know, and it's a pretty good-sized room. It's probably this length and has a big table in it. And you, We had big staff meetings in there. Had four entryways, and I locked all of them. I got on the floor. Well, first of all, first of all, I kept putting it off. And, you know, if you smoked, you patted your pocket. You know, your cigarettes is in your pocket, and you just hit your pocket. So I, so I do that. And, and, the, and, and the night, I, I was like, God, I'm going to quit. God, I'm going to quit. God, I'm going to quit. Sunday, I'm going to quit. Sunday, it's t- Monday. Sunday, I'm going to quit. Tuesday, Sunday, I'm going to quit. Wednesday, Sunday, I'm going to quit. Sunday got there, and I patted my pocket, and I had half a pack. And I can remember saying to the Lord, Lord, as soon as this pack's over, I'm quitting. He says, <laughs> I, I tell you, with an audible voice, I mean, just like smack me in the head. If you don't quit, like you've been saying, you are a liar just like you were before I saved you. In other words, there's no change. There's got to be a response. Are you going to respond or not? Okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to respond. Break them up, put them so next morning you wake up, and the first thing you do when you wake up, if you're a smoker, is you reach over and you grab the cigarettes. And you stick one in your mouth, you smoke it up because you had not had nicotine in eight hours. You've been fasting smoking for eight hours. <laughs> so you break the fast, right? I mean, you know. <clears throat> and so the next morning I get up, and I'm about to die. You know, after 15 minutes. Then you have a cup of coffee, you want another one. You eat breakfast, you want another one. Right? So about 10 o'clock in the morning, I think I'm going to come out of my skin. And I go into that room that I was just telling you about, and I shut all the doors and I lock them. And I've only been saved like two weeks. And I, and I go in that room, and I get on my knees, and I lift my hands to the Lord, and I begin to pray and sing to him, which I just learned how to do, which I've never done in all my life. I was 28 years old. And the Spirit of God came on me in that room and delivered me from addiction. Just, just, boom. But let me tell you something about that deliverance. The Lord, and, and, and I can't, I don't know, you know, sometimes you, when you get as old as I am and that's so far back, you can't remember exactly the conversation. But I'm pretty sure that I had a conversation with God that said, listen, I didn't deliver you from your addiction because I just wanted to heal you. I wanted you to understand that you can live in the supernatural realm. I wanted you to understand that this is available to you. Do you want it? Is that what you want? Do you want to live there? We see this this kind of relationship that's being modeled in Scripture. This is not telling us, well, don't you wish you could be like Paul? Don't you wish you could be like Paul? Oh, I wish I could have walked with Jesus. He says, no, it's better for you now. I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. God, Emmanuel, in you. You're the temple. You're the priest, the anointed one of God. 
you're going to be able to hear and do in an amazing way. <laughs> when I think about this whole idea, and I'm out of time. Christine, you can go ahead and come, and I'll just preach right through you playing if you can. Thank you. There's a, there's a thought process. And Paul addresses it in Romans chapter 9, verse 9. You know, we can have the mindset, we can have a mindset that says, you know, I, 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 preacher, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's really what a Christian is. I mean, is that relationship really available to those of us who believe? <laughs> my mama used to say, my mama used to say, Phew. you got to love mamas, don't you? She used to say, you know, everybody can't follow God like you, Alex. It's just something special. And I'd go, I'd just say, Mama, you don't get it. There's something special about all of us. God doesn't value one over another. I'm just listening. I'm just available. I'm telling you. If I were thinking, I'd be like, God, there's like a hundred people that I know that are a lot more qualified to do this than, than me. Yeah, I like I can tell you. But you'll listen. I'm telling you that this relationship is the intent of Jesus for the church. Not for preachers. <laughs> well, why does that happen? Well, Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 15, he, he quotes Moses and says, God will have mercy on whom God will have mercy. And God will have compassion on whom God will have compassion. There's this there's this understanding that God has of our hearts. And he will pour out on you in direct proportion to your response to him. Everybody needs to look at me. Please look at me and hear me say that. <laughs> I, if I died tomorrow, I would want you to know this. You can have an incredible, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He's alive and well. He's not dead. He rose from the dead. And he's alive again. And he lives in you. He poured out his spirit and lives in us. And there's this relationship that he longs for, for every believer. And it's described in Acts chapter 9. 
so you could understand what Paul had to go through for his attention to be gotten so that he could be on mission to accomplish his creative purpose. And you've got a creative purpose. And the only way that you're ever going to attain that creative purpose is to pay attention to the Lord telling you, value my presence. And don't measure whether you're in prison, whether you're being stoned, whether you're being beaten. Whether you're blind or whether I'm faithful or not. What makes you successful and victorious is that you know that while you're being stoned and while you're shipwrecked and while you're going through a sickness, that I am with you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And I will walk you through something that is going to bring glory to my name. You might have to suffer for a little while, but there's joy coming in the morning. And I'm going to work something for good in what's going on in your life. God says, I want an intimate relationship with you. And I'm just waiting on you to quit kicking against the goats and do what you know I've called you to do. In Jesus' name.